for Pass the Salt. Pass the Salt! But we like to share the gospel without any backbone to it, see? The views, opinions, and seemingly outrageous comments expressed in this program are based on the Holy Spirit leading of a man called Coach. I gotta ask you this out there, Christian America. It's time for Pass the Salt with a coach, Dave Daubenmeyer. Well, this is one of those days where I wish I could talk even faster than what I uh, regularly do. Got a great guest today. We're going to get that here in just a second. Hey, just a heads up. um, You better buckle up today because this is going to be a show that is going to, uh, I don't want to say the word shake your theology, but it's going to make you question some things about what you've always been taught in regards, especially to the end times, uh, the pre-tribulation rapture. Hang on, we're going to get to all that with our with our guest Gary Demar. Just a heads up, the truck convoy, man, that thing is building. I saw today, saw this morning, twenty thousand trucks. No, 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 ten thousand trucks, twenty miles. Ten thousand trucks, twenty miles are going to go right by my house, and we're going to load up all of those inter- overpasses as they go through there. And it's not just going to be me. I know people all around uh, this area. Are, uh, are scouting those things out. So we'll talk more about that and some of the things that we're trying to do to get up and get moving on that. But uh, I don't want to waste any more time. So l- listen now, I'm going to tell you, you have to have an open heart and open mind, all right? Open heart and open mind. Uh, here at uh, Coach Dave Live, we try to, uh, we, we dig for the truth. As Russ Limbaugh said, we want to be truth detectors. If it's not true, I don't want to believe it, right? Now let me give you a little bit of a background here real quickly. As m- many of you know, I was raised Catholic. When I was when in my Catholic church, my catechism, yada, 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 till I was 30 some years old, there was no first of all, you didn't read the Bible. But the, secondly, there was no end time eschatology. I didn't even know what that I didn't even know what that word meant. And when I got radically saved and came out of well, I was out of Catholicism, I got radically saved and became an evangelifish. Uh, I just believed that whatever the pastor in the pulpit was telling was telling me. And he starts talking about uh, Israel and the end times and uh, the rapture of the church and all that. And, you know, man, my head's spinning trying to keep up with this stuff. I was deeply, uh, I was deeply converted as a, as a Christian, but I didn't, I didn't, I'd never read the Bible. I didn't know what it was. So I became a, I became, dare I say it, a prisoner to the, to the theology of the guy in the pulpit. I trusted him to tell me the truth. And then all of a sudden I began to scratch my head and said, wait a minute. Do the Baptists believe the same thing as the Methodists? Do the Methodists believe the same thing as the Presbyterians? Do the Presbyterians believe the same thing as the Church of Godders? Do the Church of Godders believe the same thing as the Church of God in Christ? And I began to realize, no, no, they don't. That's why we have different denominations, because there are questions about theology. Well, I started hosting a radio program in, in around this 2000, 2001, 2002, started hosting a, talk about a rookie, hosting a Christian talk show in Columbus, Ohio, and I came across this book. One of my uh, one of the listeners emailed, uh, mailed me a book called Last Day's Madness. And of uh, course, I didn't, didn't, I didn't know what it was. My buddy Mark Harrington, uh, he and I both read it. My goodness, did it ever change the way I viewed the world? Christianity. Last Day Madness was written by a guy named Gary DeMar. I'd never heard of Gary DeMar. Didn't know who he was. But I read that book, and then I started to uh, watching even as that was really kind of before YouTube's, but began to get more and more interested in things that he had written about. Wait a minute, huh? Are we really at the end times? And is there really a premillennial rapture, pre-tribulation? Uh, what uh, what the heck is all that? And what is tulip? And what is dispensationalism? And what is what is preterism? And who is Schofield? And who is Darby? And who is how? You with me, Gary? You riding hard out there with me right now? Those were all the questions that I had. And I, I believe even right now today in this queue with 122 of us in here live together right now, I bet I could give you guys a quiz on your theology and you couldn't really justify it. Somebody told it to you and you believe it. You never, ever, Nobody ever questioned it. So at the heart of what uh, Gary DeMar is going to talk, speak with us about, throw his, throw his website up there real quick, uh, Spencer, if you can, at the heart of what he's going to talk about is what people call, well, for lack of a better term, I'll let Gary explain it to you, preterism or the idea that most most of what we've read in Matthew 24 uh, has already been fulfilled. 
It already happened. This generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. And as I began to read that and listen to what Gary said, it it fascinated me. So, Gary, I want you to know I'm going to just turn you loose here. This is a, buddy, this is a potpourri of people who are seeking after God. Yes, they all hold solid to their own theology, but they're not afraid to open their eyes at exactly what the heck is going on. So, Gary, let me start out with this first as I throw it to you. What is preterism? What the heck is that? And are you one of those dogs? Are you one of those preterist guys, Gary? Well, the preterism is generally the opposite of futurism. A futurist believes when they see a particular prophecy uh, that it's yet to be fulfilled. A preterist is someone who sees a particular prophecy and looking at the context, the audience, uh, comparing scripture with scripture, he has determined that this prophecy has already been fulfilled. If you are, if you are a Christian, you are by definition a preterist uh, because you believe that the prophecies found in the Old Testament regarding Jesus, where he was born, how he would be crucified, et cetera, et cetera. You know, some have said there have been 200 and some prophecies in the Old Testament regarding uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you believe that those prophecies have been fulfilled. So that makes you a preterist. A, 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 a Jew who, who does not believe in Jesus as the Messiah would be considered a futurist. He's still waiting for some time in the future for a, the Messiah to come. But there's an as, another aspect of preterism, and that is when you look at the New Testament, there are a number of prophecies in the New Testament uh, that you have to ask yourself the question, when will these things take place? And look at Matthew, if you look at Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, those are the, those are the biggies within the Gospels. Uh, that's, that's generally called the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus was on the Mount of Olives. Uh, in fact, in Matthew chapter 21, you begin to see Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. So from Matthew 21, Matthew 22, Matthew 23, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, that's one long uh, discourse where Jesus is dealing with that particular generation and the capstone of it is found in Matthew chapter 24. Can you pull, hang on, Gary, pull that yeah. up there for Spence, if you could. Pull Matthew 24 up there. Because, folks, at the heart of what, what Gary's going to tell us is, as we don't have to go through all this, but then Matthew 24. But at the end of it, uh, the real kicker, Gary, is when Jesus says, this generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. And the question you bring to the table is this what does this mean in that in that scripture? Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, go down a little. I just to go down one more. I want to see how they translate a particular word. Verse, stop right there. Okay, <clears throat> look at verse. Look at verse three. If you see, if you if you see verse three there, um, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age?" Now, if a lot, of, a lot of Bibles, the King James Bible, for example, says the end of the world. And so people say, well, how in the world can you say that this particular passage has been fulfilled because it's talking about the end of the world? Um, the, the issue here is that word that's translated age here is not the typical word for uh, uh, world. It's, 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 it's aeon, which we get the word eon from. It's a period of time. The word you would expect to be there if it was talking about the end of the world would have been cosmos. For God so loved the world, God so loved the cosmos. So right off the bat, at the beginning... He, of threw, the, he threw the King James up there for you, Gary, so we can see it now. Yeah, uh, yeah. see, it says end of the world. And so it's because it says end of the world there, and a lot of people were raised on the King James Bible. Look, I'm not knocking the King James Bible. It's, the, it's one of the best translations out there. But there are a few idiosyncrasies with it that can get you off track when you come to eschatology. We'll see something later in verse, in verse 14 with this. So that's, that's the first key here. Jesus is not, the disciples are not asking the, a question about the end of the world. They're asking a question about the end of the age. Mm. And, and previous to this, remember, you're looking at that big number 24 there. If you were to pick up an original Greek manuscript, you will know, you would note that there are no there are no verse numbers, there are no chapter numbers. 
So this is a this is a division uh, that's somewhat arbitrary. Uh, but if you go back to chapter 23, you have the reason these the, the disciples are asking the question. It's something. It's because of something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus said in Matthew 23, "Your house is going to be left to you desolate." So that was that was the thing. Remember, his disciples are listening to him. Jesus is in the temple when he said this, and Jesus says, "Your house is going to be left to you desolate." And that's why the disciples asked the question. When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then Jesus talks about how not one stone will be left upon another. They'll all be torn down. And so th- th- that is the key here. The Garrett, if, I, if I can interrupt you real quick, because I just saw something I've never seen. Spencer, go back to 24. Basically, really, he's asking two questions that we've made one. And that is, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That doesn't necessarily mean they are the same. Would that be safe to say, Gary? Well, n- now we're getting into what, what every time you see the you know coming, is that always a reference to what we would consider today the second coming? Uh-huh. You, for example, if you go to Revelation ch- uh, chapters 2 and 3, three times Jesus threatens to come to three churches. Now, I don't know anyone who says, well, that's the second coming. Well, how, how could that possibly be? How could there be a threat of coming just to three of those churches if this is the second coming? So coming in Scripture isn't always related to a distant coming. If you go to the Old Testament, for example, Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, there, it, it says there that God came, uh, came on a cloud, came down on a cloud to Egypt, and the idols trembled at his presence. So here the, the word coming is used there and even gives the impression that it's a physical coming, but it's actually not. Uh, Micah 1 talks about God coming down and the mountains melting under him and so forth. So just because you see the word coming does not necessarily mean that it's what we call today the second coming. There are numerous judgment comings, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I believe this is a judgment coming not a what we would I would call a consummation coming. Okay, cool. So uh, let, let's get on to the to the whole idea then, Gary. That when they say what is what is what will be the signs of the, your coming out of the end of the world, and then he goes into the signs and he says, "This generation shall not pass away till all of these things be fulfilled." What's the significance of that, Gary? This generation. And and like you, Dave, I was raised Roman Catholic. And so I was an older boy. I was in Roman. I was went to a Christian school, uh, a Catholic school up until the fifth grade, up to the fifth grade. And you're right. We didn't really learn the Bible. We went to we went to we went to church with a missile, you know, St. Joseph's missile. (laughs) And, you know, you were you really didn't. They didn't teach the Bible at all. We got little we got little vignettes about, you know, how to be a good person and so forth. When I became a Christian in 1973, in my senior year in college, uh, the, the big thing that was going on at that particular period of time in terms of prophetic stuff was Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, which was published in 1970. And in that book, Hal Lindsey kind of made a prediction. He said Israel becoming a nation again in 1948 was prophetically significant. And he said that was the budding of the fig tree, which is mentioned here in Matthew chapter 24. And then he says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And he said a generation was 40 years. And so you can do the math. So Israel becomes a nation again in 1948. That's supposedly the budding of the fig tree. You take 40, you add 40 to 1948, and you get what? You get 1988. And there was a book that came out in 1988 by Edgar Wisnant, uh, said 88 reasons why the rapture is in 1988. Well, you know, just so we're all on, on the same page here, this is 2022. So that was that was big, big news back then. Chuck Smith and all of these guys, Dave Hunt and many other others were were claiming that the the 1980s was the end. So, Uh, Gary, Gary, if I could, I don't mean to interrupt you. It's what I do for a living up on the screen. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree, which you just talked about the fig tree generation. We saw the blooming of Israel in 1948. 
when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth his leaves, you know that the summer is nigh. So likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away. To all those things I just told you about, it's going to be fulfilled. And they're saying a generation was 40 years. So Israel, 1948, 40 years later is 1988. It didn't happen in 88. It didn't happen and say, well, generation's 50 years. It didn't happen in 98. Say, well, generation's 60 years didn't happen in 2008. They say, well, generations 70 years. Well, it didn't happen in 2018. They're running out of time, aren't they, Gary? Well, yeah. And I, I want you to notice something. Look at verse 33. Notice what Jesus, first of all, look at verse 30. Let's go back to 32 here. It says nothing about Israel becoming a nation again. Now, this, is, this is an interpretation to something that the text itself does not say. And in fact, if you go back to chapter 21, what happens? Jesus sees a fig tree, and what does he do to the fig tree? Curses it. He curses it because it only had leaves on it. And so here, if, if so, wow. if, Israel, if Israel's the fig tree here, why wasn't Israel the fig tree in chapter 21? Mm. So, so, there, so there's a problem. So there's, you've, got two, you've got at least two problems with verse We've moved here. We've here. We'll um, go back. He took you to the fig tree verse. And when he yeah, saw a fig so, tree in the way, came yeah. to it, found nothing there. The leaves only said, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. Yeah, <laughs> and presently and, the fig tree withered away. And it's interesting that a lot of Bible commentators, and these are people who hold to a prophetic position that this is really dealing with uh, uh, you know, today, they've gotten away from this idea that Israel is the fig tree because they, they saw, wait a minute, this is a fig tree here. It's, it's a fig tree back in, in 21, and, and it says there'll never be, never be any fruit from you again. See, this is a, leaf, this is a leaves-only tree in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 24. But when you go, to, you, go to Luke's, you go to Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse, it says the fig tree and all the trees— so this cannot be referring to Israel becoming a nation again. It doesn't say anything about that in the text. But if you look at verse 33, it's very clear to whom the, the, the people who will see these signs. Um, uh, okay, right there. So likewise, ye. So the, the nice thing about the King James Bible is um, when you see ye, you're looking at a plural. Uh, most modern translations, you don't know if it's a plural or a singular here. So the King James did a great, great service here. Ye isn't, isn't some fancy English term. It's just simply means it's the plural. So likewise, ye. Now, who, who, are the, who are the ye? Who are the people to whom Jesus is speaking? It's not talking to us, because look what happens next. When ye, when that is that crowd, that audience, when you, shall, when you see these things, you know that it is near even at the doors. So here we have audience relevance telling us that it's that that group to whom Jesus is speaking, and it's that group that will that would see these signs. Then you get to verse thirty-four. Verily I say to you, unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things take place. Um, I'm, I'm giving a different a translation here. Things be fulfilled. It's, it's the same thing. So now the question is. What does this generation mean? Well, C.I. Schofield in his, in his notes said, well, what this really is referring to is it really should be translated race. This race will not pass away until all these things take place. So, Gary, uh, but Gary, Gary, here's the issue, right? Uh, really, the issue is, was the birthing of Israel in 1948 the birthing of a fig tree? That's, that's really the question, isn't it, Gary? Okay, so the question here's here's the question I would ask. Show me in in the New Testament where it says anything about Israel becoming a nation again. If that is such a significant prophetic event, why is it that the New Testament never mentions anything about the reestablishment of Israel as a nation? The New Testament doesn't say anything about it. it but that's the linchpin linchpin. Uh, uh, idea for this particular position. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm just trying to stick with what the Bible says. If you show me a passage in the, in the New Testament that says something about Israel becoming a nation again, and that is being prophetically significant, I'll have to say, okay, I agree with you. But there isn't a verse that says anything like that. Folks, I hope you're picking up what, uh, what Gary's saying here. The idea 
They took the reestablishment of Israel in 1948 and said, ah, there's that fig tree. There it is. And they started their clock at that point, didn't they, Gary? Yeah. And that's why they, they started the clock in 1948 as to whether or not, boy, this is, folks, I'm telling you, this is so deep because this flies against so much of our uh, eschatology that we've just taken for granted. Now, I was lucky, Gary, because I was raised Catholic. I didn't have any preconceived uh, notions about it. You know, I, I, I just, when I got saved and it opened up to me, I just read by that didn't make any sense to me because I trusted the pastor. But here we are, Gary, 70 some years past 1948, and this generation still hadn't seen it, Gary. What's up? Yeah, and you're right. They keep, it's, it's kind of like our government on COVID. They keep, they, they keep moving the, the goalposts uh, 40 years, 70 years, and I'm sure the next one's going to be 100 years. But you can't make that case because when you go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 17 pretty much describes how long a generation is uh and it is it's about 40 years and so but again there's nothing in the new testament that says anything about israel becoming a nation again now by the way let me just say something here this does not mean that jews are insignificant that isn't the issue but jews are saved just like everyone else is saved And, and here's another element to this that a lot of people don't don't uh don't recognize According to the, 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 the popular position today, which is dispensational premillennialism and a pre-tribulational rapture, which, by the way, the New Testament doesn't say anything about a pre-tribulational rapture. And by the way, Gary, that, was, that, that came from Darby and Schofield in the, in the mid-1800s. Is that right? Yeah, that really is, that is a 19th century in, in, invention. But here's what they believe. They believe during this, this uh, and the reason the rapture takes place is supposedly God's going to take the church off the earth and then God's going to deal with Israel again, um, and the Antichrist is going to arise. There's going to be a rebuilt temple. And then get this, two-thirds of the Jews living in Israel at that particular period of time are going to be slaughtered in another holocaust. That's their position. And, in, in, and because that's their position, um, it's, 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 a, it's a frightening position. Why would God wait 2,000 years to deal with Israel again and then have an Antichrist come on the scene and then put Israel in jeopardy again and have the Antichrist kill two-thirds of them, plus billions and billions of other people uh, around, around the globe. So, so Gary, Gary my, my, my mind's just racing. Bear with me here a second. I, I, sure. I apologize. Because uh, we have a real confusion in Christianity, I believe, in uh, regarding the Jews— regarding bloodline Judaism as, a, uh, as, a, as opposed to Khazar uh, Jews, uh, Ashkenazi Jew, bloodline Judaism, who really are the Jews. Jesus himself said, those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Gary, this thing is broader than what, than what we're, we're all really, really willing to look at, is it not? Yeah, it is, but I don't, I don't want to go there because that's, okay. that, that's something kind of outside the Bible. Okay. That, I'm trying to stick with what Scripture says. So anybody gotcha. who's to be a Jew today is a Jew in terms of looking at this particular uh, p- position. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so, that's, so I mean, what you're saying is that's a, that is a historical. Uh, I, I think it's. I think the name of the book is called the Thirteenth Tribe. Uh, I'm trying. The, the author is, is escaping me right now. Which deals Arthur with Kessler. Of that Kessler? I think the name is K O E S L T L E R. Arthur Kessler. So, I didn't but, mean to knock. I didn't mean to knock you off stride here, brother. I'm just yeah. trying to, you know, I've had a history of our show here, and I'm trying to bring right. in the things we've spoken about in the past. That's all. Yeah. So if you look at verse 17 of Matthew chapter one, it says, "Now all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations." And all you have to do is do some d- division here, and you get around a 40 or 50 year, 50 year generation. Well, if if, if Jesus gave this particular prophecy around AD 30. And he says, this generation, that is the generation to whom he was speaking, did not pass away. Uh, then 40 or 50 years, that fits. Uh, and, so in the, and the temple was, in fact, destroyed, just like Jesus had predicted. Not one stone was left upon another, which took place in A.D. 70, when the Romans came in and tore the temple apart. Uh, if you go to Israel today, you won't find any evidence that there was ever a temple there. You will see a site where the temple was, but the temple itself is completely gone. There are no stones there. Now, the, there's a wall, the Wailing Wall, but that wasn't really part of the temple. 
So Jesus's prophecy came, came to pass just like he said. Uh, and so what you have to do if you say, well, yeah, okay, I believe what you're saying at this point, but there's double fulfillment. And so now you have to, now you have to make the case, well, where does it say this is going to be, that there's going to be another rebuilt temple? New Testament doesn't say anything about a re, another rebuilt temple. You're going to have to have, well, why, why not a trip? Why not a, a, you know, a triple fulfillment or quadruple fulfillment? I'm sticking to the text. The text of scripture says it was that generation and that generation alone that witnessed these particular signs. So, so when Jesus said that there shall not be this generation, there shall not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. That in fact happened. Then that generation could see it. Is that right, yeah, Gary? Exactly. Yeah. And there, there isn't a history book out there who would, that would disagree with it. Christian, non-Christian, atheist or whatever. The reality is, and, and by the way, we have a we have an eyewitness account to this outside of the Bible, and that is Josephus. Josephus, Josephus mm-hmm. was a Jew who went over to the Roman side, and he was he was given the name Flavius Josephus. And Josephus wrote on the antiquities of the Jews, and he also wrote on the wars of the Jews, and he describes all of this. I mean, this this is not. We, 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 and he's not he's not trying to make the Bible a reality here. He's just he's just dealing with what the his, what he saw and that and what he saw actually lines up with what Jesus said would happen before that generation passed away. So, so, Gary, you got so much knowledge and we can't do this in, in, in one session. And for those of you out there who are dyed in the wool, tulip, uh, dispensationalist. Just bear, just bear with us a second, okay? Because I think this uh, this stuff is important for us to get out there. So, so Gary, if if in fact when Jesus stood uh, uh, hung on the cross and he said, "It is finished," I say he, he was referring back to uh, to John, where he, he said, "For this purpose was the Son of Man manifest, that he might annihilate, might destroy the works of the devil." Jesus said, "It is finished." But there are those who would say that that was a dispensational change when Jesus said it is finished and we moved into a, a new dispensation. Another, uh, and so when Jesus was here, he said, my, my work is done. It is finished. And their birth, this is kind of hackneyed, their, their birth the New Testament and the book of Acts and all that is birthed from there. Did I screw that up too bad, Gary? No, it, you know, what, what happens is, is that the, the dispensationalist said, well, what what really happened here is that the the Jews rejected Jesus as the promised Messiah, and supposedly the prophetic clock stopped. And what we are now living in is something called the Church Age, which is a parenthesis. And and then God will will start the prophecy clock back up again when He takes His church off the earth in something called the Rapture, and that's the final. Now we're getting deeper in the weeds here. This is, has to do with Daniel chapter 9 and the 70 weeks of years and so forth. And, the, and then God's going to deal with Israel again in the last seven years, and that's when all hell is going to break loose again. Uh, so what we're living in today, according to the dispensationalists, is a parenthesis. Now here's, here's what's interesting about this. The, the classic dispensational premillennialists will tell you that not a single prophecy— as having anything to do with Israel takes place during this parenthesis because this is the church age and supposedly the church age is something that was never, never foretold in the Old Testament. And so nothing prophetic regarding Israel can be significant or have anything to do with it. And yet at the same time, when they say that, they look and they say, well, Israel became a nation again in 1948. They said, wait a minute, you can't say that because that has nothing to do with the church age. And, and in mm. fact, I, I debated one fellow on, on the, the radio. This was a number of years ago. And so his particular position is that Israel is going to have to be thrown out of the land again and then be brought back into the land because Israel becoming a nation again in 1948 is prophetically insignificant. So these are the extremes that people have to go to in order to, to get around wow. what, what Matthew 24 says very specifically. Okay, folks, hang on. Gary, I'm going, to let, I'm going to let some of the folks come in here. Folks, I'm going to ask you to do something. Remember, tell us a story, not your life story. 
keep the questions short and succinct the best that you can. If you if you disagree with Gary, then just tell him why you do. Ask him, what do you think about this? Yada, yada, yada. And let's run through as many as, as we can, and we'll have Gary back another time. Myra, I'll have you close out our, our, our show today. Is that Would that be okay, dear? I, I got rolling, forgot all about it. Jeff Nell, come on in. Then Rochelle. Yeah, hey, greeting. Uh, great, great information there. Uh, I'm kind of curious. Uh, the communist goals infiltrated the seminaries and divinity schools. In your view, do you feel that it, that has happened? Oh, I mean, seminaries, uh, there are different types of seminaries out there. Some are very liberal seminaries, but a lot of the dispensational seminaries, like Dallas Theological Seminary, they're, they're you know, they're conservative, uh, they're, they're conservative Bible-believing Christians. Uh, so, but there are a lot of you know, very leftist, you know, seminaries out there, a lot of leftist colleges that were used to be Christian, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, and the rest of them. Um, so, but th- this... What we're de- debating here is an intramural debate. This is a debate among Bible-believing Christians. Uh, and so... Uh, so, good, so good Bible-believing Christians at the Dallas Theological Seminary, which is a highly reputable university, we would believe that they're probably teaching dispensationalism. Would, would that be safe to say, Gary? Yes. Some of them are teaching what is, what is called kind of a modified view of uh, dispensationalism called progressive dispensationalism, but we don't really need to go there. No, they're, they're great. They're great Christian people, aren't they, Gary? They just they have are. a different, yeah. different mean, I, philosophical slant. Yeah. They, I have a lot of their commentaries and when, when they don't discuss eschatology, they're very, very good. Um, okay. It's just when they get into the eschatology side of things that they, you yeah. have to do a lot of manipulation of the text in order to, to, to get there. Um, Folks, let me say this. This is important for us all to understand. The fact that someone doesn't believe your eschatology does not make them a bad Christian. Do you understand that? So those of you out there who have a a particular eschatological end times view, it doesn't doesn't make you good or it doesn't make you bad. It makes you a believer. And you're believing us. So Take down your swords against each other. Nobody's trying to change your mind or tear apart your Christianity. You are great Christians who have a different opinion of how the end times is playing out. Safe to say, Gary? Yes. All I'm doing is I'm, 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 I ask people questions all the time. Where in the New Testament does it say the temple is going to be rebuilt? Where in the New Testament does it say the church is going to be taken off the earth before, during, or after a seven-year period. What, what about Thessalonians, Gary? What about Thessalonians when it says in, in, in an instant, in a twinkling of light, the last trumpet, dead in Christ shall arise? What about that, Gary? Yeah, if you look at if you look at first first Thessalonians chapter four, all of the elements necessary for a pre-tribulational rapture are absent. Nothing about an antichrist. Nothing about seven years. Uh, nothing about <laughs> the church. That particular passage has for centuries been interpreted as what we would describe as the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is sometime in the future that we have no knowledge of what, when it's going to happen. The rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, that is what's new in theological circles mm. in the 19th century. Not the doctrine uh-huh. of the second coming, which First Thessalonians has always been used to as, as, as a part of that, uh, what you have to find in the New Testament is some verse that says the church is going to be taken off the earth either before a seven-year period, in the middle of a seven-year period, or after a seven-year period. And there is no verse in the New Testament that says that. And they look, the dispensationalists admit that that's the case. The dispensationalists admit that the New Testament doesn't say anything about a rebuilt temple. The reason they hold on to that position, because they need to do it in order to support their position that there's a distinction between Israel and the church. But think about it, Dave. If you go read the New Testament, you go to read the book of Acts, who were the first believers? The first believers were Jews. There were Jews living in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven, Acts 2.5. The first converts were Jews, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews. Later in the book of Acts, the, the word is myriads. Tens of thousands of Jews embraced Jesus as the promised Messiah. 
the ones who rejected Jesus as the uh, uh, a promised Messiah were the religious leaders of the day. Because they <laughs> the deep were, state, they, <laughs> the religious they, deep state. Yes, and let me tell you, this is extremely important. We, when you read the New Testament about the religious leaders, they weren't. They look. They weren't concerned about Jesus teaching that people would go to go to heaven when they died. That wasn't an issue for them. What Jesus came to do was he disrupted the whole political collusion yeah. system that was operating. Remember, Jesus goes to the temple twice and he cleanses the temple. They were money changers. These were people who were making money off of the sacrificial system. Amen. Wow. But what arguments did they use? What arguments did the did the uh, uh, religious leaders use to get Jesus crucified? They used political arguments against yeah. him. They yeah. had sweetheart deals with the Roman government. The Herodians did as well. The Herodians were despicable people. Uh, they they think about it. First, you know, Herod kills the, the the infants. You got the other. You know, Herod kills John the Baptist. Herod. Is, is involved in, in the trials of Jesus taken to the Romans. Then you get into the book of Acts and what does what happens? And you got Herod who kills uh, um, uh, James, the brother of John. Uh, the, the Herods were despicable people. Mm. They were all aligned with the, the Roman Empire. And it was two things. Wow. Nothing's changed under the sun, power and money. I've got a good friend, Dave. You need to probably have him on your show. His name is Jerry Boyer. B-O-W-Y-E-R, Jerry Boyer. He wrote a book called The Maker Versus the Takers. And it's, uh, a, it's an economic, it's a book on economics uh, in, in, in the New Testament. It, and he deals with all of these political and religious alliances that were going on. And he shows geographically when Jesus was in Galilee or Jesus was in Nazareth or Jesus was in Bethany, all of these geographical areas and G the various parables and the, and the things that he talked about were significant because they dealt with the, 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 the political <clears throat> collusion that was taking place in Israel at that particular time. That's why Jesus was a threat. Jesus wasn't a threat because he was telling people they were going to go into heaven when, when, when they died. No, liberals today aren't concerned with that. Liberals aren't concerned about when we die, we're going to go to heaven. What they're concerned about is that Jesus is Lord and he came to upset the, the power structures mm. of the day. Uh, so this, wow. all fits, this all fits fits together very, very well. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. I've never seen that before. It's yeah. amazing. Rochelle, come on in. Then, uh, go ahead, Rochelle. Hey, good morning, team. Um, thanks, Gary, for coming in and talking about this stuff. Um, I wanted to ask you, you've probably gotten this question a hundred times, but in Luke 21, 12, um, they're talking about um, the beginning of sorrows and the parallel passage is Matthew 24, 9. But in Luke, what it does is it says that before these things, which is, I looked up the word, it's G, Strong's G4253, and it means before. But then in Matthew, it says, at then, like after these things, which is in the Greek Strong's G5119, which means after. So this is where people would say maybe this is a dual uh, prophecy or something like that, because it does have different words describing where the placement of, um, you know, the beginning of sorrows and then the tribulation where one is before and one is after. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to really sit. I, I do remember <clears throat> I do remember this argument. And I know I wrote about this somewhere, but I can't remember. <laughs> but I want you to remember something. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all begin the same way, asking a question about re related to the temple. And they all end the same way. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Uh, and if you re if you read Luke, actually Luke is much more detailed on things that are specifically Israel related, like where Matthew chapter twenty four uh, fifteen talks about when you see the abomination of desolation, etc. Luke says when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, uh, and and so. It, it, it happened too, didn't it, Gary? That it, happened. It, it, absolutely. And here's the other thing is, if you read through both, all of these <laughs> chapters, 
you will see that this is a local judgment. You could escape this judgment simply by going to the hills outside of, of Jerusalem. In fact, uh, the Lord told you to, didn't he? He said, flee, flee yeah, to the hills. Exactly. You could flee, you could flee on, on, on foot. You see, if you take the double fulfillment view here, then they have to make this a worldwide tribulation. And that means, well, wait a minute, worldwide tribulation. But it says here, if you just escape to Judea and then you, you get off of your, your rooftops and if you travel on the Sabbath and so forth and so on. So how does that have to do with anything worldwide? Uh, I would have to look at that specifically again. But I think the key to this is how does the chapter begin? They all begin the same. How does the the chapter end? It ends with this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and here's another thing you can do. You can go to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17 has a number of the same things that you find in Matthew chapter 24. And it's interesting to compare which goes along with a little bit of your question. It goes to uh, compare with Matthew chapter 24, with certain events take place, <clears throat> excuse me, before verse 35 and verses and things that take place after verse 35. Uh, and so hmm. you've got, you, you've got to look at the whole thing before, instead of just taking a single verse uh, but again, I'd have to look at it much more carefully. Okay, well, but Gary, you just, you just opened up a can of worms by doing it because I'm looking at the screen. I tell you that in that night, verse 34, there shall be two men in one bed. That's strange. The one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, one taken, one left. Two men shall be in the field, one taken, one left. This is the rapture, isn't it, Gary? That's yeah. what they would say. Yeah, for the longest time, people use that as a rapture passage, but the and and the the analogy is with Noah in the flood. And so who was taken in Noah in the flood? Who was left behind in Noah mm -hmm. in the flood? Noah and his family was left behind, and the ones who were taken were those who were taken in judgment. Wow, that's right. So you, and, and, and again, look, here, grinding at the mill. When's the last time you were grinding at the mill? Uh, th this is obviously dealing with that particular time and that particular culture. And the ones who are taken here are the ones who were taken in judgment by the Romans. And again, we have, because of Josephus, we have the history of that was taken. Not only were more than a million Jews killed during this conflagration that took place with the Romans, but tens of up to 50,000 Jews were taken off into captivity. And in fact, if you can go to Rome today, you can see this vast relief of the uh, Carrying the 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 elements of the of, of the of the temple and the tabernacle well, by by the Jews. So Gary, this I, whole I, thing I, relates to that same period of time. Gary, I had never in my whole life ever looked at that that way. The ones that are taken are taken to jail, or they're taken to damnation, right? My goodness, as opposed to just the other way, we think they're taken out to be raptured out. Not ever. Oh my goodness. Yeah, look, and Dave, let me tell you, even dispensationalists no longer hold that is a rapture passage. So you begin, uh, beginning to see this shift with people like me and many, many others who are just saying, look, just let's take a look at the text. Let's compare scripture with scripture with this. Let's just stick with the text to see what it says instead of trying to impose something on the text. So first of all, you got I knew to this, yeah, go ahead. I knew this is going to be involved. Come on. Hey, folks, let's run through them quickly, okay? Michelle, go, then Craig, then Janine. Go, Michelle. Morning, family. Thank you, Coach. South Africa, um, Gary. South Africa. Gary, <laughs> Gary you've made uh, you you made two questions, and you said that there's no New um, Testament um, reference for a temple. Um, I would like to take you to Revelation 11, verse 1 to 2, where John is clearly measuring a temple, which also then falls in with the abomination of desolation mentioned in Daniel that needs to happen in the Holy of Holies, and for that there needs to be a temple. And then your second question. You always have. We made reference to a pre-mid, post-trib, and a well, mid-trib tribulation. That is very true. That's new teaching. Anyone, and I believe there's lots of people in the queue here who do believe in a rapture. We believe in an imminent rapture. That means that nothing needs to happen for the restrainer to be removed, but nothing can happen until the restrainer is removed. Okay, Gary. Go, okay. go Gary. Uh, yes, John is taken up, and he is told to measure the temple, which means... Uh, you have, to, you have to conclude that that's a rebuilt temple. It doesn't say anything about a rebuilt temple. 
John measures the temple because when John was caught up, the temple was still in existence. The temple was still standing. I believe that the book of Revelation was written before the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, not in AD 95. Uh, if you look at the very first verse of Revelation chapter 1, uh, and let me see here, I know you guys will probably pull it up faster than I can get to it. I mean, but I got to it first. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bond servants the things which must shortly take place. And wow. he communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that, is, that he saw. Now listen to the next verse. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of, this prophecy, of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So the book of Revelation is describing what was near. And if you go down a little lower here, verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. So John is writing probably around A.D. 64. Uh, Nero is in power at this particular period of time. And the book of Revelation is dealing with events of that, of, of that time. And if you look at um, wow. And if you look at um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance. Now, this, now remember, these are, these are seven churches that, that existed back then. This was written to, to, to those, those churches. Um, it says, um, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world. The Greek word that's used there is oikumene, to test those who dwell upon the land. So, the, so now we don't have time to go through the whole book, book no. of Revelation, but the book of Revelation begins with the time is near in verse 3, for chapter 1, verse 3, and it ends with the same word being used in Revelation chapter two, 22, no. verse 10. The time <laughs> this is so this is so techy, but is, we have to we have to unpack it like this, folks. Look at this. Eleven. Behold, I come quickly. Quickly doesn't necessarily mean soon. It could, but guys who play football are quick. Basketball players are quick. It means it happens fast, right? Quickly does not necessarily mean soon. Well, actually, it does. <laughs> it does there. Quickly does. You go do a word study on quickly. You know, it, it means to it means to move fast, but it doesn't. It's like, for example, if if you had if you you told your son or daughter to clean up his or her room, and uh, I want you to I want you to do it quickly, and yeah, you can, you know, and you come back later on, and you and the room isn't cleaned up, and said, "Well, mom, look, I, you told me to do it quickly, and, and so when I start to do it, I'll do it fast." Oh, that's, not what, that's not what quickly means. Oh, that's it. We're, let's roll. Let's get Craig in here, then Janine. Quickly, let's go. Go on, folks. I knew it'd be like this. Well, hey, you know, when you get into numbers, Coach, that's that's my, my area I yep. like to talk yep. about. Um, so, Gary, uh, you said uh, you're basing a generation on Matthew 1, 16. 14 generations, you estimated 50 years at the max. 50 times 14 is 700 years. Uh, when you go and you, and uh, I've sent coaches and Randy and others, I've come up with a timeline. I think it's pretty close. Uh, Abraham was born in 2008, and we know that um, Saul was the first king. Go to most scholars, they're talking early 1,000. That's a thousand year difference. When you take a thousand and you divide it by 14 generations, you come up to 71.4 years. I would tie in Psalm 9010, which says the strength of a man is 70 years, 80 by his might. We're still on the 80-year side of that from 1948. That will push us to 2028. Uh, so that's, I, would, I would just look at that as far as the numbers because this thing about the generations is really important. And understanding is, are we talking 40, 50, 70, or even 80? Uh, we got to have these things in place still. Thank you. Okay. And I appreciate well, the you. problem with that view is, is that there's nothing in the New Testament that says anything about Israel becoming a nation again. Uh, so that's that's the, that's your problem. Why? why well, 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 say anything about Israel becoming a nation again? That is the key. Uh, I, I don't have that verse, but I could provide to you. It says, "I will regather you again." Okay, they were never they were never dispersed. Okay, okay, they were dispersed 
after 70 AD. They went to Babylon together as a group. Now, the 10 tribes were dispersed, okay? But I would hold to the fact that those who are really obedient Jews would not go outside Jerusalem. In other words, take that new city to, to uh, go and, and be at the Passover, that they actually implemented themselves into the Jew of Trida. The 10 that were really relevant would be obedient to God. They would leave their tribes. They would assimilate with Judah, and all Judah went to Babylon. So I would say that they have not been dispersed. And when the Bible says, I will regather you a second time, I believe that was after the 70 AD. So, oh, uh, Maccabees. Wow. Actually, actually, the Maccabees. All right. I mean, well, actually, you're adding stuff. You're bringing in <laughs> things way beyond what the text actually says. I'm trying to stick to the text. The text is very, very clear. This generation refers to the generation to whom Jesus is speaking. Every time this generation is used in Matthew's gospel, look it up. You can look it up. This is a near demonstrative. It means the, that particular generation. If Jesus had a future generation in, in mind, he could have used a, a, a far demonstrative that. Verse 33 is very clear. When you see these things, he's talking about that that those people in that particular audience go through Matthew chapter 21 through chapter 24 and notice how often the second person plural is being used. If you look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 45, the, the religious leaders said after listening to his parables, it was very, very clear that they said what Jesus was talking about them. It was very, very clear with that. Then if you go to Matthew chapter 23, which is a prelude to this. The reason Matthew 24 is in the Bible is because the, the disciples were asking a question based upon what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 is an indictment of the religious leaders of that day. Verse 31, chapter 23. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Verse 35, that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Verse 36, truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Wow. Jesus is not describing a future generation here. Then he goes on, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, <clears throat> Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Now, the reason he's using the word Jerusalem here is because he's talking about the religious leaders of the day. Behold... Your house is being left to you desolate. And it's extremely important <clears throat> to note that Jesus, Jesus cleanses the temple twice. And the reason he, he cleanses the temple twice is based upon Leviticus chapter 14 of a house of leprosy. And the priest came in and he, he inspects the house at first. If he finds leprosy, he, they have to clean the house, and if they if he, they'll come back later on, and if there's leprosy still there, they got to tear the house down and burn everything in it. And so this is why Jesus um, uh, um, goes in and cleanses the temple twice. You see the second time in Matthew chapter 21. Jerry, all they all they needed were masks and social distancing. Yeah. They didn't have to burn the whole building down. Let me, man, this folks, this is deep, is it not? Janine, quick. Hey, let me just say, what, go, go ahead. Put all of this together, and then to, then to turn around and say, oh, by the way, no, this is talking about some future generation. You you have to you have to give up everything Jesus says in Matthew twenty one, twenty two, twenty three. You have to hmm. turn. The, the audience to a completely different audience. Jesus uses uh, the second person plural. You have to turn this generation into something that it, it has no meaning to. Wow. You have to take this as 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 meaningless as well. It, it, look, you can you can hold that view. I know it's a popular view. Uh, I'm just saying you have to do a lot of manipulation in order to make it work like that. Read the scriptures mm. in terms 
of comparing scripture with scripture. Uh, Jesus said, this generation will not pass away if all these things take place. But let's take let's take your view and say it's 70 years. So, all right, so it was this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And the generation in Jesus' day could have been 70 years. He didn't, he didn't say uh, when 40 years are completed, he says this generation will not pass away. That generation did not pass away. All those things took place within that generation, even if that generation was 70 years. So I think 40 is the biblical idea of a generation that's used repeatedly in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, 40 is typically described as a covenantal generation. That's us. I just found that on man. Oh man, Gary, you get folks. Wow, this is something. Janine, quickly, Janine. Yes. No, I got to move on, Janine. Okay, um, we're having all these debates, and the question is why and how did it? How did this come about? Which we, I don't think, have a- answered. Um, if we go back to the reformers. Um, the reformer preachers unanimously um, identified the papal system as the Antichrist and the Roman church as Babylon. So to get that, to get us off that, what happened in the 1600s, it was the Jesuit uh, Louis de Alcarta, Alcarza, I think his name was, founded the Preterist School of Prophetic Interpretation. And that's where that came in, because he explained that Revelation by the fall of Jerusalem, or by the fall of the pagan Roman 410 AD. Now, futurism came in in the 1500s by another Jesuit. It was Franco Ribera, uh, developed the futurist school of thought, and he taught that the Antichrist would appear somewhere near the end of the Christian dispensation and would appear in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and shortly before the return of the Messiah. So Gary's absolutely right. We just don't understand who developed these theories or these uh, preterism and futurism. And then along with that, you've got all the people after that that came on board, like John Nelson Darby and Edward Irving and John Henry Newman. Oh, uh, yep. And see, they I'll came up. It's just and so much. See, folks, we're prisoners oh to those who came before us, right? We're prisoners to who came before us and what what they thought. I didn't mean to cut you off, Janine. We're running out of time. Gary, respond to that. Well, the 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 idea that the preterism was developed much much later just isn't the case. I mean, like, look, I make I'm making my case. I didn't study. Uh, uh, what's that? What's that? I forget his name. The, the the this guy you say started preterism. I got this from from just going looking at, at, at scripture, and just because somebody comes across something and they they're wrong on other things does not necessarily mean they're wrong on on everything. If you go back and look at Eusebius, Eusebius was a fourth century Christian historian. He was a the, the word didn't exist I probably back then, but he was a preterist on Matthew chapter twenty four. If you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith. Westminster Confession of Faith, one of the guys on there was John Lightfoot. John Lightfoot, he, he was an unbelievably brilliant man, Hebrew, all the basic languages of that particular period of time. He was a preterist on, all, on these things. So you go back to Eusebius, you go back to others, um, you will find preterist arguments all through it, and you will find futurist arguments as, as well. My goal here is to get people to look at the scriptures, that we are Bereans, we search the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. I haven't really quoted anybody other than Josephus, the historical record. I'm so, just sticking so, to the text of scripture. What does Ghania mean? Does it mean race? What does this generation mean? How do you find that out? All you got to do is go through the Gospel of Matthew, and every time this generation is used, and ask yourself the question, to whom is Jesus addressing here? It's not, it's not that difficult. You don't need to be a Bible scholar you don't need to read anything outside the Bible. Stick to what the Bible has to say and, you know, go your own way with it. But I, I just don't like bringing in all these other types of things. I want to stick with what Scripture just what the basic Scripture says. So, folks, we would be uh, we got to We got to close it out here. Uh, uh, Darby, uh, the Ryrie Study Bible, Hal Lindsey. This has all shaped our theology. Would you agree with that, Gary? This is all this is all modern uh, definitions, explanations of what the scripture says. These this these guys aren't 
the original founding fathers of Christianity. Yay? True. But again, I, I'm, I'm just, again, I, I, you can deal with all these guys, but you've got yeah. to deal with them by taking a look at what the scriptures actually say. That's, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Where did we get our theology? That's what I'm saying. And Gary, I'll say this about you, man. Everything that you've argued, you have used the scripture, not what somebody else said about it. You, you've used the scripture to interpret the scripture. And there's a bunch of folks that wanted to get in here that didn't get just hanging there with us, Gary. Folks, listen, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to seek the truth. I just want to know the truth because it's the truth that makes us free. Not what somebody else told us. It's the truth that makes us free. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow.